Hi and welcome to the Psyche Podcast where we discuss all things mindset, mental well-being and living your best life. I'm your host Hannah and I'm a mindset and mental well-being coach and founder of Psyche Coaching. Welcome and we hope you enjoy the show. Hi everybody and welcome back and uh, I hope you enjoyed Monday's episode with Visa and that it left you feeling as inspired and empowered to kind of just go for stuff as it did for me. Um, So today's episode, a slightly longer one, and I have to give you a bit of a trigger warning and a disclaimer at the beginning. So this, uh, this conversation with Shiggy, so Shiggy joined us for our suicide panel discussion for World Suicide Prevention Day. And in this podcast, uh, she talks about suicide bereavement, so losing someone to suicide. And Shiggy very graciously shares her story with us. And it's very raw, it's very honest, it's very open. Um, And so a trigger warning, there is mention of means of suicide um, and a a violent suicide. So if you you know much about kind of classifications of suicide, um, a a more violent... uh, means of of suicide so before you listen to this episode just checking in with yourself to see if you are in in the right space in yourself to hear this conversation and it may be that this is not the time to listen to it and to come back when you are feeling in a, a, a more able a space that way you're more able to to deal with it if uh you have also been touched by suicide or experienced suicidal feelings uh, or it might be that that it is an episode to skip over if 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 uh, it's something you're not ready to hear. But I do think it is a really important conversation for us to be having. And um, and Shiggy is, uh, as I said, yeah, very graciously shares her story with us, and very much deep dives into the kind of reality of of dealing with um, the aftermath of a suicide, both. the the practical things that need doing but also the emotional side as well and um it's it's actually and and shiggy as as i do as well have has a dark sense of humor so that comes through as well so if that's something that you're not used to you might find that interesting uh through the conversation but just uh, as a heads up before you dive in uh you know, if it's something that you think might affect you, and actually, even if you think it it won't, it may have an impact. So, thinking about your own support network around you, if you need to reach out to someone for support, uh, or take a break and, and kind of come back, just so you know, kind of what you're getting into. But it is also, as I said, a really important conversation, but also a really fun conversation uh, as well. Um, you know, I really, really enjoyed speaking with Shiggy um, and having her on the podcast, and. Uh, as you'll see towards the end, and I'll kind of come back and give you um, an update. Um, it, it's, I think, um, a really honest, raw, as I said, conversation um, that's important to have. And, and she also shares some of the um, the kind of cultural aspects. So she um, is Kenyan, um, and so she kind of talks about that and the kind of cultural aspects, which I think, again, is another really important conversation to be having around suicide. So with all that being said, we're going to dive in to the episode and I will be back super quickly at the end. Hi, everyone, and I'm really happy to welcome this week's guest, Shiggy, to the podcast. So 
welcome and if you can introduce yourself to us and tell us a little bit about you. Well, thank you for having me on. Um, my name is Shiggy. I am a Kenyan born and raised part Dutch person who um, moved to Kenya when she was about 15 or so, which is why I don't sound remotely Kenyan, even though I'm fully Kenyan. And um, I spent basically my entire adult life in the UK, living, working, existing, <laughs> basically doing my own thing, working for myself, self-employed uh, a lot not really working for anyone else um and uh yeah living away from family has been interesting um especially with uh family members dying so grandmother dying and lately uh with my mother committing suicide and having to go through that which i felt is a really really important kind of uh story i suppose um to get out there because i know other people in a similar situation like me possibly being a third culture kid will probably want to hear it and get some help through it mm. yeah amazing thank you for joining us and uh, yeah for opening up about um, a really important topic I think for us to discuss but possibly a really um, a difficult one maybe on a personal level to share so I don't know how you are with yourself in in terms of your your grief and bereavement because I know grief is such a such a big thing for a lot of people it is um we're in, we're in 2020 now, so she uh, committed suicide in May 2019. Um, and it's, I, I, I don't mind going really deep. It's quite interesting when I do, when I do talk to people about suicide bereavement, is I'm very, very happy to go very, very aggressively deep because I've done my work to kind of be able to say things. So for example, my mother shot herself in the head with a gun, right? I'm okay saying that. I always have to be careful with how I say that to other people, especially in the UK. I realize I sound slightly American. I am not American, but my mother lives in America. Um, gun violence in the UK isn't as prevalent as it is in the US. So to hear that someone committed suicide by shooting themselves in the UK is more triggering for other people than it is for myself, um, which has been you know, part of the journey when I came back. So um, she did that last year. You know, she, she shot herself in the head last year. I was here in the UK um, going through my own struggles of starting another business up after kind of another one dissolved and just kind of juggling all of that. So to have your Holocaust survivor stepfather somehow manage to navigate his way through Facebook to, to ring you. So a 93-year-old man goes through Facebook to find you and to call you to tell you your mother shot herself right in that that whole thing was just a lot to process um and that pretty much led what i now term a crusade um you know I've, I've got enough distance i've had a year and a month distance to kind of be able to process everything that's happened but it was essentially a crusade um calling family members in kenya right and telling them what's happened calling my uncle who's uh who is her um younger brother about all of that. So as a result, he had to be responsible for certain duties. I had to be responsible for certain duties. And um, yeah, basically getting a ticket, you know, flying over to the US and having everyone ask you, okay, what now? And I'm like, I don't know. I, so you have to deal with everything on a day by day basis or a minute by minute basis. And um, yeah, it's, it's, there's no field manual and I, I use social media weirdly enough to actually manage um, 
my days, you know, because I don't really want to, I didn't have anyone to talk to. So I used Instagram stories um, as a way to kind of have a very throwaway, I don't want to say flippant, but that's kind of what it was, just a 24 hours, this is what I'm going through. People send me messages and voice messages of support, or they'd even find people that they knew to contact. So like people in the UK would be like, hey, you know, there's this person I know in where you are, like just just give give them a call and they can help you out. And like I met a couple of people who were childhood friends of my auntie-in-law, <laughs> you know, from Kenya, who happened to be living like 20 minutes down the road from where my mother was. And I'm just like, oh, it's crazy. Um, but I went through all the emotions. Like if you can imagine all the emotions, imagine all of them, and then imagine ones you can't imagine. That all happened, right? Because even if you're not talking to your mum that much, there's still a connection there, right? There's still some value there, even though like, you know, you're 4,000 miles away or whatever, you still have that kind of, that root. And then when that root disappears, like you, you just feel very, very lost, even though you're on your own and you've, you've established yourself, you know, you're fine. You still become very, very lost. And um, yeah, just trying to find the strength to keep on going every day. I literally think if I didn't have people in my phone, on Instagram stories, kind of just telling me things, distracting me. I just like asking people, send me silly memes, you know, send me silly videos. Just, just please distract me. You know, being distracted is okay. Um, and that was four weeks. I was in the States going through my mom's affairs. Uh, having to reclaim the body was interesting. Um, I know a lot of people kind of decry and bemoan the police institute and everything, but I was dealt with in such a kind manner from the second I knew she died, you know, police officers kind of bent over backwards. The police were amazing. And um, before even being in the States, like a lot of them would bend over backwards to get paperwork and documentation and fax it over and email it to me. Um, my passport was expired at the time. I was just being lazy because I wasn't really planning on doing any travel. But with this, obviously, I had to renew my Dutch passport in England and um, the emergency renewals. They need a reason. And, you know, this is like I was telling the police, like, look, I need to fly over. But for me to fly over, I need the, the death report, you know, the, the incident report. So they sent it over basically without their senior person, you know, signing it off because it was going to take too long. So they just, they just, you know, did me a little favor. Um, and then the, the Dutch embassy renewed. They say it takes three to five days to renew it they did it within 24 hours which is insane um and uh yeah i mean at the time i did have a boyfriend who uh wasn't being the most supportive and i know in situations like this because his father died you know about five months before but because i have dealt with death in my family a few times like from the age of two all the way up until now um i kind of knew how to help him but with my situation, I know it's the first time he's had a girlfriend who's had to deal with a suicide. Uh, well, had to deal with death of any description, let alone a, a horribly violent suicide. Um, so he didn't really know what to do. And at the time, I was really, really upset and annoyed with him. Um, especially when you tell someone what you need and they don't understand. You know, like when you're like, when I come home, I just want to sit and be quiet because when I leave the front door, 
everyone's asking me questions and I have to have answers. You know, can, can you be one person that doesn't ask me questions? He just sit with me. And he had a hard time with that and that upset me. So, you know, I know um, for a lot of people, the idea of sitting quiet with someone is a very alien concept, but you don't need to use your mouth all the damn time. <laughs> you really don't. You know, just sitting with someone, just sitting together and reading your separate books, right? And you just get to lean against each other. Like, like that is way more healing than, you know, constantly having to like be in your brain, like being in your heart and being in your body is really, really important. But that's, that's a digression, but an important digression. So, um, you know, there's a lot of love and support, like from the police over there, even going in person to claim my mother's body. You know, I know that they are a very different section of the police force. But, you know, they had compassion and patience and I used dark humor, very, very dark, twisted humor as a coping mechanism. I still do now. Like you'll probably hear a couple of things that you might think are a little bit off, but that's how I cope. And that's how like it makes me feel comfortable in difficult situations. So they they heard a few of my very off color kind of comments and they laughed and they said, you know, it's a little bit weird, but I understand where you're coming from. And, and I was just like, thank you, because I don't know what I'm doing. They're like, no one usually does. So hearing someone who is at um, the mortuary, basically, who, you know, just hands bodies over, mm-hmm. um, reassure you that it, what you're doing is perfectly normal has just been, you know, that was really, really supportive. Um, so moving through that, you know, I never actually saw my mother's body through the entire thing, um, which in one part I'm thankful for because I don't know what would have happened if, you know, you see a soulless cavity, basically. Like, you know, seeing that, I, I, I saw my grandmother and I saw my grandfather when I was two years old. And just like the process of that for me is very, very strange. So I don't know, I don't think I would have coped as well as I have done if I actually saw her body dead, because the memories I have was of her alive. I don't want that final one. And that's okay. Like a lot of people feel maybe they have to forcefully like see their dead sibling parent or whoever. And it's like, you don't have to, right? You know, how you remember someone is up to you. You don't need to um, go. There's no rules. There's no rules. <laughs> one thing I've discovered is there's no rules at all. So having to get her cremated was very much just signing documents and making sure her serial number. So this is the thing, right? She becomes a serial number. She's no longer a person. She's a name and a serial number, making sure that serial number kind of lines up. Um, and it did. And um, at the crematorium that I found, uh, she got cremated on Memorial day in America, um, which I think is the, I don't know, 20 something of May. I'm, I'm not really big on, on American holidays. So she got done over uh, Memorial weekend and seeing her in a travel urn, which is just a very heavy duty plastic rectangular box on a desk uh, was the most surreal thing I ever had to deal with. And the first thing that came out of my mouth is, wow, my mother's in a box. <laughs> and the secretary was looking at me going, she didn't know what to say because again, the dark humor was coming out. And, you know, I just sat there just going, I'm really sorry. This is just really, really surreal. I've never seen my mother so quiet, you know? So, and they're just, again, just like, whoa, like, I don't know what 
to deal with the situation. And I'm just like, I have, I have very dark, twisted British humor. Um, and I apologize, but also this is my way of coping. So just, just let me have it. <laughs> and they're like, okay, fine. The, um, the head, uh, crematorium, whatever dude, I uh, can't remember his name. He was cool. He, he'd seen everything. Like my humor wasn't as dark and twisted as some other people's again, reassuring. Um, which is good to know. And then I had to lift her box and put it in my bag. That's surreal as well, because the box is heavier than you think it is. And again, I'm just like, wow, I didn't expect her to be so heavy. Right. And again, I'm just holding her, just kind of like looking at this box. And again, um, the, the head guy is just looking at me going, are you okay? And I'm like, I think so. This is just very surreal. Like usually when I hold my mother, like I wrap my arms around her and like right now she's, in my hands as a complete whole human in my hands and he he kind of went down a little bit of a spiritual route like you know you don't need to consider her as you know a whole person anymore this is just leftover remains like she's actually left into a better place and uh, he's really good really good at you know dealing with bereavement um and and uh, i still contact him now because they have a really good plan good crematoriums have like you know i suppose possibly psychotherapists or people who can deal with suicide bereavement quite well. Um, and that's something I think is important for people to always make sure that they have a support network, whether it's social media or, you know, uh, people at crematoriums who are good at their job. It's important. So I feel with all of that, that was kind of one chapter closed and then another chapter had to get opened because uh, I'm Kenyan, which is great. And I know not a lot of people are familiar with the idea of tribes still existing, but in Africa they do. And uh, I span two different tribes. I can never remember what they are. I know one of them's Taita, and then the other one might be Luya or Kikuyu. I, I can never remember. Like there's there's a there's a mix there. Um, and the tribal elders do not believe in many things. The main things they don't believe in, which affected my situation, is cremation, divorce, and suicide. And my mother, being the astounding woman that she is, went out with a bang and gave me this holy trifecta to deal with, um, which was tough. And my uncle kind of led that because he still spoke the language. He still spoke Swahili. I don't speak Swahili anymore. Um, and he's male and I'm female. So, you know, there is that kind of uh, hierarchical issue that still exists in Africa. It's, it's everywhere, you know, the patriarchal system versus um, matriarchal and all that kind of stuff is, is the dichotomy still there, but doubly so in Africa. So um, he went through that. I think he went through about two weeks of talks with the village elders to give him permission for us to bury my mother in our own family cemetery. So we have a farm in Kenya um, that we own, plus the land around it that these tribal elders live on, which is a bit strange. Um, but we have our own cemetery in our own land that like, basically all our family members come, come back to. We all, we all come back home. Um, so that was really surreal. And then having to do a, a closed casket funeral was weird because my mother was in an urn um and i bought a biodegradable urn and i bought some tree seeds that i wanted to plant her and so like you know at least her body was still giving you know it was uh, 
its main duties were over. But they're like, no, we have to put her in a, in a, in a casket. It has to be a closed casket funeral. And, and I was very upset <laughs> with that. Because uh, me and my mother spoke about death a lot. Um, I suppose I probably should have opened about that. Like my, Me and my mom spoke about death uh, from the second I thought about death, which was when I was two years old, when I saw my grandfather in, a, in an open face casket. We always had very, very, very open conversations about death. And she always said, I want to be cremated. And I'm like, can I turn you into a diamond? She's like, you can do whatever that you want with my body. I really don't care. Um, which is quite funny. I should have done, but you know, um, we do have a duty to bring our family members home. So um, the funeral was weird. I wasn't really into it, but I also respect ancestral traditions. I think I'm going to go with that, ancestral tradition, traditions. And um you know, I respected it and I had a whole bunch of people from the village come and pay their respect, which was weird. You know, having to sit in a, a space with my uncle and a couple of other people um, and due to the associations my family has with uh, the Kenyan government. I have to be really careful with what I say here. <laughs> Basically, um, there's, there's, there's a lot of high level stuff. Uh, in my family and it's kind of one of the reasons why I'm not there and I'm, I'm in the UK instead just I don't want to be a part of it but yeah so basically high profile um, funeral uh, so having to talk to a lot of people as an introvert is always fun and really exhausting because you have to do it for like two or three days <laughs> so uh, that that was pretty exhaustive and uh, still the boyfriend was nowhere to be found you know request to call me every day checking with me every day just you know you don't even have to say much, just call me and I'll just say hi. And, you know, that can be it. Nothing happened. Um, and I was upset initially, but I just kind of let it go because I had more important things to deal with. And then, yeah, I came back home a month later. So that was a full month of being out, you know, dealing with, I will still very much call a crusade. Um, and then having to work on myself, you know, after dealing with all of that, a lot of us use energy to, you know, get, get the mission done. You know, if there's a, if there's a problem, we need to fix it. And once we fixed it, then we can rest. Or at least that's the way I've been brought up. Like if you're brought up with two very militant parents who are not, well, one of them's ex-military. The other one is raised in a post-colonial Kenya. Um, you are basically an army child without being part of the army kind of thing. So when I came home, you know, a lot of things shifted for me. Um, realizing that time is so finite became a huge huge thing for me just like why am I wasting my life when either I could end it or someone else or something else could end it like just to be so um foolish to think that every day is guaranteed was just such a you know I'd always known it and thought about it but like having that in your face you're just like ah oh, okay uh maybe maybe i should be less you know kind of just flip into that life so um i got rid of the boyfriend <laughs> very quickly because he was very destructive and he wasn't really in, in line with what i was looking for um and i gave him basically two months after i came back i gave him i gave him two months just to kind of you know settle and maybe say sorry you know, that all I wanted was him to say sorry for not being there, but he never had the capacity of saying sorry unless you basically verbally twisted his arm. So I realized that that's not healthy. You know, if you don't, if you have someone that doesn't want to support you, especially in like the biggest, 
I suppose, gauntlet, the biggest challenge that any partnership could ever deal with, um, then, you know, you need to, you need to part ways. So got rid of him, um, and spent a lot of downtime just on my own, but, but having a very small cluster of people to keep an eye out on me. Cause one thing that a lot of, uh, literature says about suicide bereavement is especially if it's a family member and especially if it's like the wrong way around. So if a, ch- if a child kills themselves and a parent is still around, it's, it's even more prevalent than you know, a parent killing themselves and um, a child still outliving them is um, your susceptibility to suicide is now higher because you've lost, you know, you've lost a root, you've lost a cord, you've lost whatever kind of attachment you've had. Um, as a result, you feel lost and you feel like you're spinning out of control. And some people do spin out of control, you know, with drinking drugs and just, you know, just questionable behavior and all of that kind of stuff. And I felt that pull um, for myself. So I uh, avoided any and all drink. Um, I, I'm a DJ. <laughs> and when you're a DJ and you go out, people kind of offer you all sorts of things. And, and I, I would go out to my gigs. I'd go out and DJ, but then I would just go home. You know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't hang about because, you know, someone can say one thing and it would just trigger off the whole kind of chain of events. And I really didn't want that. Um, there was a suicide attempt that happened around Christmas time. Um, no, it wasn't, sorry. It wasn't an attempt. The voices got very, very, very loud. So it was, it was a black dog day. It was, it was an attempt. I, I called it a black dog day. So I had a very, very black dog day to the point that I switched my phone off which is always dangerous because, you know, when you go down that route and I've had suicide attempts before, I've had three suicide attempts before in, in my entire existence. And I've worked really hard to be able to see the triggers beforehand <laughs> to try and circumvent it. Um, and it got really, it got really, really dark because when you switch your phone off and you put it away, you know, you're very, very close to that point where you're just like, if you have anything around you that can complete a suicide, you will use it, you know. Um, but thankfully I forgot I had knives in the kitchen, so (laughs) I'm still here. Um, and I don't own a gun either, which is really good because that's, that's just, that's bad. That's really, really mad. So, um, I went back into therapy. I had a therapist before to deal with my grandmother's, uh, natural death. And I called him up like literally the next day and I was like, I haven't got any money, but I need to talk to you. I had a black dog day and he's like, yeah, fine. You know, he like, he didn't care about the money. He's like, you know, you need to, if you can save a life, you save a life. Um, so that was December time. Uh, and January, February, you know, things were kind of reaching normality. And then we had, you know, just a casual pandemic kind of decided to dance its way into our existence. And, you know, we're all going through grievance levels with a pandemic and I'm still kind of going through my own grievance levels of a suicide. So for like the rest of the world to come and, and join my party, I'm like, oh, cool. We can all chill out and be depressed. This is amazing. Right. So I'll kind of, I've, I've been going through that and I can't say I feel like I'm coming full circle because I don't think that exists with suicide bereavement. I think it's an ongoing wave that oscillates less over time. You know, so you get the sonic boom and everything's just kind of going really, really kind of, you know, highs to lows, highs to lows. Sometimes you're in a gutter, sometimes you're on cloud nine. And over time, it just kind of normalizes to a point that it becomes manageable. 
And I think that's all you can ever really hope for with Suicide Bereavement is that once you get through the sonic boom and you get through the kind of waves of everything, all you're left with are ripples that kind of, you know, sometimes they're small ripples and you can have a good day, a good week, a good month, maybe even a good six months to a year. And then you just have one day that you're just crying a lot and you have no idea why you're crying until you ask yourself why you're crying and you realize it's because your mother shot herself and you're like, oh, oh yeah. Oh yeah, that sucks. And you just let it go and keep on going. That's it in a nutshell. <laughs> yeah, th- thank you for sharing that. And there's, there's a couple of things that I guess I just wanted to highlight maybe for the listeners from what you said or pick up on. And I think when you said about um, just wanting someone to sit with you in silence, I think that was such an important point because we ourselves, if someone is upset, we want, we want to help them. And so we think, well, we have to talk to them, we have to do whatever, because we feel uncomfortable sitting in silence. But if yes. that is what someone needs, and if and you actually expressing what you needed, if you're with someone and, and they're saying, this is what I need, no matter how uncomfortable it is for you, that's the, the most loving thing to do is to give them what they need, even if it means, yeah. yeah, discomfort for you. So I think that's a really important point. So thanks for bringing that up. And I mean, I'm a big fan of dark humor. <laughs> so, and I think, and, and the flippancy, but I think sometimes we, we need that lightness because otherwise the, the depth of, of the emotions can be so over, overpowering and you need that distraction and you need that, I don't know, like lightheartedness, I guess, to, yeah. to give you that, that lift. But what really struck me when you were talking about it this, this whole month is you've got this, this I guess, this balance or your, your kind of uh, probably... And, and I haven't been suicide bereaved, so so I don't know. But I imagine a lot of emotional uh, stuff that you're that you're processing. But you've got this real, um, just logical process of this needs doing, this needs doing, this needs doing, and you've almost got this disconnect of not being able to process the emotions because you have everything else to organize yeah. and yeah. and and that balance. And then I imagine that coming back after a month of just logically getting stuff done that's when it hits. I, you know, I don't know if that's true that suddenly it's like, that's all done. Like what, what now? That's, that's exactly it. Um, and I realize with the way I've dealt with it, it it's a very, I suppose, masculine, if, if you're going to talk about masculine and feminine energies and, and, you know, the way that, mm. um, I don't want to talk about cisgendered males and females because I, but I don't really believe in that, that, that all of that. So we'll go back to the energies. So mm. I, I do have a very masculine kind of um, energetic force when it comes to getting things done. So what you say is exactly right. Um, that I let that kind of come out more. Um, and being a third culture kid uh, or even a boarding school kid, I know a lot of people will, will kind of you know, resound with this. If they've been in boarding school or they've had to move around a lot, they, we all create armor, right? We have the shiniest, most brilliant armor known to man because as children we had to protect ourselves right yes our parents were there but they weren't really there we were there on our own wherever we are school traveling um boarding school being the only black kid in an entire school of 650 white people whatever that's what was my childhood was by the way um we get really brilliant armor so um when we get situations that we're not familiar with we put our armor on because that's the safest position to be in um some of us learn that crying doesn't help. 
because our parents, you know, we cry and cry and cry. But if we're in a boarding school in our own little bedroom, no one's going to come and hug you. Right. Same thing if you're literally with your parents, but they're too busy working or whatever and you're crying like no one, no one will comfort you. So you learn how to comfort yourself. Um, which is a bit of a painful thing to kind of go through, but uh, there's a lot of people out there who are like that. So, um, yeah, even with death, like, I'm not going to say I didn't cry. I had nights or mornings. Sometimes I wake up in the morning with a wet face and I don't even know why I had a wet face. Cause I probably cried in my sleep. Right. Cause that's one point when you're not really connected to, you know, the mission, you're just being and existing. So I had nights wake woke up with a wet face crying um just in the middle of a day you know in my mom's apartment don't read oh don't read your parents diary for the love of god don't do it okay especially if your relationship with your parents is not good <laughs> don't read what they think of you because that will tear you apart so um, I made that mistake on the first day and then I had to just shred all her diaries because I, I, I couldn't put myself through that. Um, but yeah, you will do the mission. Once the mission is over, then you have this hot pot of hot coals of all your emotions that have been sitting there patiently waiting. Kind of like, you're not, you, you can't get rid of us, right? You can drink us away. You can drug us away. You can go to five hours of Brazilian jiu-jitsu sessions every day. That's what I did. You know, you can find your coping mechanisms, but at some point you're going to have to deal with us. So I advise you when you get back to not do any of those things and just deal, get a therapist and work through it. Um, so yeah, the feminine came through, came through and handed me my butt very, very lovingly, but aggressively. I think that's that's so true with the, the the grief and those powerful emotions that we think we can just bury them or, yeah, like you said, drink them away or, or whatever is our own coping mechanism. But they, they, they're stubborn. They won't go until you do that uncomfortable exactly. work of letting yourself feel them and, and moving through them. And that might be something that you can do when, when you get back. It might be something that people can't do for a while that they have to sort of you know build up to it but I, I i i do like that analogy of um you, you called it a crusade earlier and a mission and then putting all your armor on and it very much is almost like getting into that headspace of like right i'm ready to deal with it now and really like a, a disconnect yeah. from the emotions it's yeah yeah it's um it's 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 uh i well talking to my therapist and talking to a few other friends um again through the instagram stories you know other people who who've had who've lost their parents to suicide and, and all that that kind of stuff or natural losses i found that there is kind of variables because you do get us militant types who you know go and do the mission then cry and you get people who just fall apart right and they tend to be they tend to have networks of people like they tend to have been grown in communities where everyone does genuinely look after each other so they feel that they don't have to take the burden on themselves because there's already people around them who've already taken parts of the mission as it were you know they've, they've done it and they said like you grieve you focus on grieving we go do the fix we will we'll, we'll close this for you right we want you to be around people and do the grieving you know, um, so they would they would message me that they're just like, you know, I I would never have been able to have done what you've done, like, you know, flying over to a country you barely know, 
and dealing with systems that you don't understand, like, you know, United States kind of systems and everything. And I think they're all valid. Like I, when they told me their stories, I'm just like, I just want to be hugged and cry. Like I, no one did that for me. Like, that's amazing that you, you could just, you know, cry your eyes out and just have people look after you and you, know, you don't have to do anything. Um, which I think is just as powerful as being able to be a soldier in your own crusade and you know, get the mission done. I have a question actually about that, that being hugged and crying because I have a lot of masculine energy as well. That definitely resonates with me. Do you find that just generally in life that if you're in that masculine energy and you're kind of just showing up and getting stuff done, that it's hard to almost like say to people like, oh, I need a hug. It kind of feels a bit awkward to let the the armor off or do you find it quite yeah it does um well i so i i have a i have a a childish Mm -hmm. side to me which is kind of like my my masculine energy softening a little bit um but when i am very much in my kind of militant like if i'm working or if i'm doing something very specific like just you know just like i have to get it done um a lot of people get freaked out by it you know, they're, they're just like, oh, okay, wow, she, she seems kind of standoffish. I'm just like, I'm not standoffish, you're standoffish, your face is standoffish, like being jokeful. And they're just like, uh, like oh my God, I'm joking. Just can, can you please just chill out? My God, like I don't mean it, you know. Um, and I only find that people who are of a, a like militant ilk or, or military serving or ex-military, they're the only ones who see what it is and are like, you're cute when you're mad. I'm like, I'm not cute. All right, you know, so... They can break into it, but for but for the most part, um, yes, uh, a lot of people will say, "Hey, you're pretty intimidating," and I'm like, "Okay, can I have a hug?" Mm. <laughs> you know, I've I've learned like I I have no problem asking mm. for hugs, you know, and sometimes I'll just put my hands out because um, I've I've studied behavioral psychology um, quite a bit over the last mm. fifteen years, so I'm more than happy to lead, you know, the the physical mm. conversation. Um, it has been an issue with partners. It has to be said because sometimes when I'm at home and I become a super introvert, I've left my my you know armor mm-hmm. at the front door, and all I want to do is just sit and read my book. That's my happy place, you know. And they come in, kind of go, "Oh, could I have a?" I'm like, "No, no, 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 too much. You're too much." And it's like, I just want to hug you. I'm like, I know, but it's so much. Why do you have to be so much in my space? You know, and they 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 don't understand that there's rules of engagement. I, I, <laughs> I so partner. get that because yeah, I'm an introvert. As well. <laughs> yeah. You know, so like yeah. they're like, what? There's rules? I'm your boyfriend, and I'm like, you have more rules. I'm sorry, and they're like, that's not fair, and I'm like, life's not fair. So you know, the ones that have lasted a long time, um, usually they come sit next to me and they start tickling me, and I'm like, I'm going to end you, and then they hug me. So they know that that's an in, as opposed to just coming in like with their own agenda, kind of going, I'm going to give you a hug. I'm like, I'm going to poke you in the eyeball. Like, Don't do it. You know, just natural defenses. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's really, it's really, uh, it's fun when you know who you are and knowing like kind of how mm-hmm. things work and then just trying to like, I don't want to say fit the box of everyone else, but just get everyone else to realize that you are approachable. You know, just like having little tactics here and there, um, it helps. But yeah, sometimes when you're on autopilot and you just look like a great white shark in an ocean full of, you know, I don't know, tadpoles. Like, sorry, I didn't mean to. Just pull this <laughs> off, pull pull my great white shark off. Look, I'm a goat. Yeah. yeah so. <laughs> so, um, 
I'd just like to to um, explore one one other thing because you mentioned about um, the uh, I guess the ancestral traditions I think you talked about in in Kenya and and I know mm. before the call we talked a little bit about um, culture and um, and maybe attitudes around suicide and I wonder if we could explore that a little bit more because you know for some people listening who do do come from a, a cultural background that has really clear views around suicide that that might be something that's really valuable for them to hear so sure um so it's a bit difficult kind of expanding as deeply as i'd like to around it because you know being in the uk for so long um i do have like a hand on home but like i'm not kind of deeply uh entrenched in it just because there's so much um secret uh I'm, I'm trying to find the word, but I can't like for secrets. There's so many secrets. I'll, I'll just say that there's so many secrets. Um, and there's a lot of shame and pride, you know, it's a seven, it's one of the seven deadly sins for a reason, but pride in my part of Kenya or within my family, I've, I've, I've um, experienced is so huge that so many secrets get put underneath the carpet. You know, it just becomes a really insidious cycle. So, um, the idea of being so weak and I, i'm doing that with inverted commas being so weak to commit suicide um is like the the most shameful thing you could do you know to to know that like a family member decided to end their life because they couldn't handle the the hardships of life or whatever you know that's that's a that's a down point on um a family's reputation you know, it's like, oh, did you know so-and-so's father killed themselves? Like, oh, wow, they're, they probably, you know, they're falling apart. Like, who even are they? You know, that's that's the general kind of consensus that does tend to kind of happen. Um, in, I want to say African families, but I can't really say I represent the 46 countries that represent Africa. So I'm just going to say in my little pocket in Kenya, um, you know, the idea of suicides is never spoken about so much so that it took me being at my mother's funeral and the eulogies were going on my grandfather's sister all right so my grand auntie actually shared a story of um her father so my great grandfather committed suicide all right I never knew this. No one knew this. Like maybe a very tiny handful of people in the entire family unit and the entire family unit was there, all 300 something of us. There's actually a thousand of us, right? My tribe is huge. There's a thousand um, people <laughs> in one of my, my, one of my last names. So, um, but the unit that was there, like, you know, this, this story of my great grandfather committing suicide um, n never gets spoken about and when she my my grand auntie when she spoke about it um during the funeral service a lot of people were upset like a lot of village villagers who came to the funeral some of the tribal elders weren't weren't so you know hot about her talking about the subject because obviously they've been around maybe even before my great-grandfather um and some immediate you know close family members were also just kind of you know shuffling in their seats and i'm just out there just going you mean to say that this is a skipping generational thing because that's something that I believe in, like, you know, suicide is a generational disease uh, to a point, 
so to understand that you know there's a there's a skipping in generations so grandfather mother could be my child you know or whoever's like you know that that's the ring that's the next generation that could potentially you know have this kind of energetic misbalance so um for her to be brave enough to say that afterwards a few people weren't you know they went over there and spoke in Swahili and you know she just sat there and said I've said what I've said you know um enough is enough these secrets are destroying people you know and and that's that's what it is like you know that the ability to change that narrative um I think is really really important um even more so this is really uncomfortable for me to say out but with my being bisexual right I don't talk about that much because of this indoctrinated kind of shame <laughs> that comes from you know african culture like uh kenya's very well there is an lgbt community there but it's very underground like if you outwardly present in any kind of way that is not cis het um you could get killed I I know the neighboring countries also have this issue where um they outright still outlaw being an LGBT person right and people you know if, if someone in the village gets a little whiff of someone being gay they're probably going to be dead by sunset right which is terrifying and another reason why I'm in the UK um so it's 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 a traditional ist ideology that you know i i suppose stems from christianity possibly or religion you know religion taking over tribal kind of um notions and uh folklore that kind of was the predominant kind of thing there so you had like you know the the gods and the spirits and you know land gods and air spirits and all that kind of stuff um that kind of being replaced by uh christianity and as as such you know lgbt is is you know frowned upon and suicide is not a thing and all these kind of things it's all it all meshes up and it's really really sad but um i think with conversations you know like this um and having open discussions even with people who will just outright decry you exist <laughs> um it's really important so, yeah yeah thank you for sharing that and and um yeah i think i mean I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what my point is here. Uh, because I'm, I mean, you know, I'm from, like, my parents were Christian, but I think fairly moderate Christian. I don't know if that's a phrase, but it, you know, yeah, if, you, yeah. if you know what I mean by that. So that idea of this cultural, you know, having this background and having all that tradition of uh, shame and secrecy, and then that personal, you know, when we go through life, we're trying to figure out who we are and, and so I just think, yeah, it's really important to talk about for people who have got this balancing of their culture and where they came from and the beliefs there, but their own personal experience and, and trying to, um, yeah, come to terms with all of that stuff. So thank you so much for sharing it. No um, so I have some set questions I ask everyone. Um, so I don't know if there's anything else you wanted to throw in about suicide bereavement i think one thing i i was going to say and then i didn't for some reason mostly probably because i forgot and now i've remembered <laughs> is uh, <laughs> um suicide bereavement groups are very strange um i got told or i i got very heavily encouraged 
when I came back to the UK to go to a suicide bereavement group. Um, and I haven't. And I just, I just want to put it out there that it's okay. You don't necessarily have to go to a suicide bereavement group. Um, just because I personally feel sometimes uh, um, sitting in a soup of the same ideas over and over and recycling them in your head can be freeing for some people. If you, if you have conversations with people in that group and you come to, you know, joint realizations that you can let go and just kind of remove from yourself, that's great. But I have this kind of reservation against people who go to those things for too long mm. and it ends up being a comforting space of negative thought patterns, mm. you know, and then being having those negative thought patterns validated by people, you know, saying it's okay, it's been two years and you're still in the same place as if it was the very day that it happened. Mm. You know, I, I very, very, very personal opinion. Um, I feel that's not good to be stuck in um, immediate bereavement thought patterns. You know, you need to be able to give yourself space to grow and expand and change that, you know, I, I call it a sonic boom, change that sonic boom into a ripple. Right. If you don't let the sonic boom disappear, dissipate and change into, you know, this ripple that you can manage and, you know, it, you can almost befriend it, um, then it's really, 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 really difficult. So uh, if you ever feel, um, you know, muscled into going to a bereavement kind of group thing or whatever, I just want to say it's OK not to and you can stand your ground, go seek friends who know how to, you know, make you laugh or whatever, give you some distraction, seek people, seek therapists, professional therapists are usually the best, um, who can help you manage your thought processes that you're having, especially the ones you don't want to tell people. Um, I find if I've paid someone to listen to my thoughts, it feels better than, you know, having to burden a friend with the weirdest stuff that comes out of my head about my mom's suicide, you know, like, one that I had that I can now say kind of happily is I was going to transfer her from her travel urn into uh, this biodegradable plant tree urn. And I said to my cousin, because she was the only one that could kind of uh, understand my morbid kind of thoughts. I'm like, what if I sneeze because she got into my nostrils? Mm. Right. That's a very weird thing to say, you know, cause like, you know, I was imagining I was going to be siphoning her with a spoon. They just putting bits of my mom, you know, with a spoon into another urn and because she's really dusty like you know she's going to be all over the place and then i'll just inhale my mom and i just sneeze her all over the place what if she just scatters all over the place really weird concept funny in my humble opinion very funny right but a little bit too twisted for people who aren't comfortable talking about death you know mm -hmm. so if you have a paid therapist and you say it to them they'll probably laugh because they understand or they've reached, you've reached that point in your ther therapy sessions that they understand you enough to know that you're just, you're, you're, you know, um, not necessarily deflecting, but you're managing mm -hmm. an idea of a dead person in a certain way. Um, so yeah, so therapy, a good bubble of friends um, and just knowing yourself a little bit better. You don't necessarily need to go to a suicide bereavement group. Mm. If you want to, do it, but do it with a view to kind of leave it. Mm. Don't stay there. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think the, the key thing there is to to have support, isn't it, of, of some type, and that will look different for everyone, because like you said, there is no blueprint of this is how you get through any grief, and, and particularly with suicide bereavement, which, yeah, is something that's just, we just don't talk about it so much, but suicide is something no. still, we just don't, we just don't talk about. Um, so yeah, there is no blueprint, but getting support, yeah, is so important. No. Awesome. Thank you for, sure. for sharing that. So yeah, I'm going to dive into my set questions that I ask everyone. Do it. So I feel like it's Do it. I'm, I'm excited. the first one's about joy. And so it's quite a big, it feels like a bit of a leap from that to woo, joy. Um, but you've got a dark sense of humor, so I'm sure you enjoy it. So um, yeah, my first yeah. question <laughs> is uh, what always brings you joy? So what boosts your mood? So many things. So music, First and foremost, um, I'm, a, I'm an instrumentalist. I play seven instruments. Um, so either just playing on whatever instrument I feel like grabbing or m more often than not, listening to music. Um, so just any, from, from anything, you know, it can be me singing along to Pavarotti in the kitchen to, you know, dancing on the tube to Taylor Swift. Right. Like I'm, I love drum and bass, but like, I will listen to anything. I'll listen, I'll even listen to country music. Like I used to hate country music, but then I kind of appreciated it. I, I kind of prefer bluegrass. Um, so yeah, music is insane for me. Just, just, if I need to just change my mood, um, I say this to, to sometimes I do videos on, on my Facebook just for people to watch if they're having a bit of a, a blue day. Like I just say, put on your most guiltiest music pleasure and just mm. wiggle your butt. Wiggle your butt for the entire song. You don't even have to dance. Just wiggle your butt. Let you just give it a little wiggle whilst you're singing along to your favorite song. And it just changes your mood instantly. In there. So um, that's the biggest joy factor for me. There is something else, like, because I do Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, <laughs> which, um, weirdly enough, like, some of us, we just call it, like, consensual murder practice because <laughs> you're basically, like, you're rolling on the floor <laughs> in pajamas, right? If you're doing the gi class or the no gi class, you're either in, like, a head-to-toe set of lycra or you're in pajamas basically trying to like choke each other or like break each other's arms and stuff but it's consensual because you consent you both consent into mm. it and there's something about doing that it's it's the kind of idea that you're possibly going to die right if this was a real setting in the street if it was a street fight or you know i don't know you ended up having to wrestle a bear you die you would never wrestle a bear you will die but like let, let the imagination run run out for a little bit um the idea of having to physically outmaneuver another person that you have no control over, but the view is to have control over that person. Um, it just pulls you away from anything you're thinking about, you know, cause you can't think about, um, and I can't think about my mom's suicide when someone's trying to break my arm. You know, I'm like, it's just a primal thing. You think about your, you save yourself first. It's again, one of those things do the mission and then you cry so like it's one of those things again um it's just there's just so many endorphins when you're just doing that it's really really tiring but like you know sometimes reaching a point where you're almost dead you know again inverted commas is when you feel the most alive so that's my other kind of flip side from music to Brazilian jiu-jitsu for joy I think it's very cathartic, isn't it? It's a way of, you know, having all that. Because one of one of the parts of grief, one of the big the big emotions, is that anger and that that rage, and actually, it's mm. channeling it into a 
healthier <laughs> healthy way <laughs> and allowing you to let some of that adrenaline and, and everything out in in that safe space so i like that that consensual murder controlled <laughs> murder yeah exactly <laughs> i, I mean that there's always sorry go on what I was just going to say is interesting, um, obviously coming back to the music and you said about being a DJ and a sound engineer, that your example is the sonic boom and the waves. I just, that's just struck me that, you know, the, the you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah they're, they're, it was going to be there. Like, to be honest, like, I've, I've never kind of uh, conceptualized it up until like today. Because usually I talk about, you know, the, the big battle and then the little battles. And, and for some reason, today, I decided to go with the sonic boom and ripples. And um, okay. Yeah, it, it's, I think it's going to stick. I quite like it. And thank you for pointing out the association between my jobs and <laughs> that. Well, we, I think we've, we have a way that we like to, yeah, process or the way that we kind of, you know, get up and, and you're obviously very kind of musical and auditory. So it's just, yeah, just interesting that that's the kind of analogy. But I think it's very true that the waves, because, yeah, it's, it never gets to that flat. I think it's something that always is that but like yeah. you said it yeah yeah i think it's a great analogy stick with it <laughs> <laughs> i will um yeah so um my next question is what makes life meaningful for you helping other people always 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 it's it's one of those things where um because i'm in i'm in the entrepreneurial space quite a lot because I, I i decided not to work in an office i used to be a graphic designer for, for yellow pages i lost about 10 months got signed up with clinical depression and decided never to go back to an office. Weirdly enough, leaving the office, I got rid of my depression. Um, so working for myself, being in, in the entrepreneurial spaces, like I I have friends who are at various different points of that, you know, the success mountain hike that you're going up to. And speaking to people who don't work, right, because they, they have assets and they have businesses and all of that jazz, I'm like, what do you do? And they're like, oh, I'll give back. And I'm like, that makes sense. You know, like if you have everything, the only reason you want to try and have whatever everything is, is so that you can give to people who don't have anything. You know, that's, it's, it's the weirdest concept for people who are still in a, in a state that they're trying to get to where they're comfortable or trying to get to where they're kind of like, you know, able to do X. But that X is more often than not, kind of going back and helping someone else who's not in at the level that you're at. So um, mm. for me, it, it's, it's anything from, you know, I'll, I'll help people. If, if someone has an event on and they need a DJ um, and they haven't really got much money to pay, like my normal rates, but I'm really all about what they're doing. I'll just be like, just give me beer tokens, you know, cause I love, I love helping people so much. Like my DJing, um, I get to I get to make people feel better for a few hours, right? Or or however long my set is, I'm giving them something. So I don't need much in return because what I get to give to people is so huge. So um, yeah, giving back is is the greatest yeah. thing for me. Amazing, thank you for that. So my next question: We talk a lot about um, mental health and, and mental well-being on the podcast. So I have two questions around this. So. The first is what mental wellness means to you. So uh, mental wellness is, I, I like the fact that there's a separate, a separation between like mental health and mental wellness because um, I used to be a personal trainer and you don't talk about like physical health, right? Like physical health is just split into a whole bunch of things where like mental health is part of your physical health and mental wellness and, you know, all that kind of jazz. So um, 
with mental wellness, it's more about a kind of be like your day-to-day activities that promote a positive space for you to exist in. Um, so wellness can cut, can be anything from, you know, having your set gentle routine that doesn't require a lot of bandwidth for you to do. So like, you know, the stuff that you do automatically in the morning, you, know, you wake up, you brush your teeth, go to the bathroom, you go have a glass of water. Da, 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 da. I know full well that the idea of a glass of water as part of your morning routine is not common. Right. But it should be, you know, just drinking a big old glass of water in the morning. A lot of people don't do, mm. but something as tiny and insignificant as that can literally just change your entire state for the whole day. So your, your, your whole day state, the kind of, I suppose the barrel, I don't want to call it a barrel. I just, it's something that you're holding that's huge and you just kind of like hug it. I suppose a Swiss ball might have to do. So big old squidgy Swiss ball, the state of your Swiss ball, <laughs> right. is really important because if it's slightly deflated and everything else is going to be struggling inside there. So mental wellness is all about, you know, just how you, how the automatic stuff in your life, is healthy and positive enough for you to be able to like springboard off of that to do anything else. Yeah, I am. Um, I've started having a glass of water in the morning, and I I really like drinking water, but I just get out of the habit. And for me, I, what I've started doing is now I link it, and I get into the patterns of drinking far too much coffee and just that. So now every time I'm making a cup of coffee, mm-hmm. I have a glass of water while I'm making it, and so it's you know just kind of linking Good. them. But you know our brain. Our brain is thirsty. <laughs> Our brain is insanely thirsty. You really do. Um, by the time we kind of feel dehydrated, well, by the time we feel we want to drink of water, we're already starting to be dehydrated. So, mm-hmm. yeah, a lot of us yeah. don't drink enough water, especially if we drink yeah. a lot of coffee, which I do as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so here you go. That's a top tip for you. Link it. Have a glass of water <laughs> while you're making your coffee. And then... But yeah, like, you know, if you've got brain fog or you're struggling to concentrate, possibly your brain is just dehydrated and just, I always find it really interesting. I know you've got a cat, I've got a dog and, you know, with my dog, I make sure he's got water. I make sure he's got food. And then sometimes with ourselves, we just completely forget. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Although like, you know, actually having a pet, um, so I've, I've got ADHD. So like for me, routine is literally king like lockdown has screwed up all my routines and i've been struggling only now am i starting to kind of like self um you know mm-hmm. stabilize but I, everything's going to go back to the way it was before i'm going to be destabilized but having a cat that i have to feed twice a day and i have to refill his water three times a day because he drinks a lot of water it's actually like you say like you know you put the associations there if we look after our pet so much right and we forget about ourselves if you like attach things you know so you attach water mm-hmm. and coffee in the morning, you know, I attach refilling um, my cat's water bowl with a pint of water for myself. You know, so mm-hmm. I'm, re- I'm doing two of them at the same time. I'm drinking the water whilst I'm pouring it and he's drinking the water in the morning as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, little life hacks like that are really, really good to do. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, my, yeah, my second question around the kind of mental wellness thing is what you do to look after your own mental well-being. Ooh, I move. I have to move. I have to do a lot of moving, um, which interestingly mm-hmm. enough, with the whole lockdown thing, I haven't been able to. So my main things I do is Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, which I will never shut up about. Um, I do probably <laughs> one to three hours of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, more or less every day. 
um, I, I aim to train uh, five to six days a week. Um, and I have my Sunday sermon where I basically go to the academy um, from around 11 o'clock in the morning to do the ladies class. And I try and stay as long as I can. I think the longest I've stayed there was like four hours, um, which is a lot. But I just, I have to move. Um, so Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is my first, well, prevalent love at the moment. I also do bouldering. So like, you know, the rock climbing without mm -hmm. harnesses and stuff. So just low level rock yeah. climbing. Um, and I also go to the gym quite a bit. But I hate the gym because it's really boring. <laughs> but sometimes, you know, again, doing the mental associations, like my brain is like, don't want to go to gym, gym boring. But you do like lifting heavy things and being a bit of a bear, don't you? Yes. Okay, let's go be a bear. Okay, let's go to the gym and be a bear. Like, you know, so you kind of do those mental things. Just my brain is a five-year-old child that likes marshmallows. So I have to kind of convince it, you know, give it rewards, not marshmallows, but that kind of mental yeah. type of thing. Um, so movement is really, really important. And with lockdown, I haven't moved as much. And I've noticed the repercussions of, you know, even a walk. For me, doing a walk, I'm just like, but it's a walk. It's so boring. It's like, well, just put on some music and go, like, go for a wiggle for half an hour. Okay, I can go do that. You know, that kind of stuff. Um, but I've, I've gone weeks every now and then just because if it's really cold or if it's wet, I refuse to go outside, which is fine, but also not fine because then my brain goes absolutely nuts and I can't concentrate on anything. Um, and being self-employed, if you can't concentrate on your work, then you don't get paid. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I've, I've taken up yoga. I call it rage yoga because I put rage against the machine on and I do yoga to rage against the machine because I, I can't, you know, find your inner chakra and breathe. I'm just like, <laughs> no, this is so boring. Why do I need to? Yeah, I, I got my yoga instructor qualification last year and I want to do like heavy metal yoga because I just think it's... See, I will be at the front. Please <laughs> do it because yeah. this this calm blah blah stuff my brain goes nuts you know it's like there's water trickling why have you ever tried so. power yoga i've tried all of them yeah i've tried all i even tried broga right yeah. which is like yoga yoga for the for for the gym rats yeah. right because i i being a personal trainer i have friends who do pilates reformer pilates uh vinyasa ashtanga broga blah, blah, mm. everything I've tried all of them. Mm. None of them worked. Yeah. Unless I put like drum and bass on or Rage Against the Machine or just, just something that's very loud and aggressive that yeah. fills the space with, mm. you know, it doesn't have to be angry or aggressive. But if that's all kind of hectic, then I get to calm down. Mm. If it's too calm, then I need to fill the space. Yeah. You know. So. Yeah. That's why I like power yoga because it's much faster and, and dynamic. And I think that's, if I, if I set up a heavy metal yoga, it would definitely be power yoga some maybe that's i'll be there yeah um but I'll i'm definitely <laughs> i'm definitely going to check out brazilian jiu-jitsu because i've i've done taekwondo before and krav maga before and oh, you've really cool. sold it to me so i'm going to check it out i don't know if there's anywhere so, that does it but i'm going to check out you'll find somewhere just find find like a, a fight academy or something so we're similar because i did shotokan karate as a kid then moved to Taekwondo as a teenager and I, I spanned ITF and WTF. Um, and then I did Capoeira um, and then I worked as a bouncer, completely failed to mention that, but I worked as a bouncer for 13 years. Um, and we did close quarter combat. We did Kapap, which is a variation of Krav Maga. Mm -hmm. um, 
if you haven't done a floor sports of which there is what two maybe three i highly highly encourage you to do it because everything that you know from taekwondo from krav maga and everything has zero value when you're on the floor everything changes on the floor and your brain kind of goes holy crap like if someone's on top of you right you're just kind of like what do i do like this is technically game over but it's not because you can jam your elbow into their neck you can start moving your hips out and all of a sudden you have space then you can you know mm. it's it's amazing it's like it's just, it's physical chess and yeah you know just going through it, you panic to start off with. you will hold on for dear life to start off with, but once you start getting calm it's like taekwondo when you first learn how to kick and everything once things start mm. flowing it's so much fun when i first started getting to the taekwondo gym they did mma and that was so much fun, but I think they stopped doing it. And yes. so that had some some floor work. And yeah, it wasn't something I'd done before. Um, and I, <laughs> I do remember once... No, it's, it's alien. Yeah, I remember once screaming with this guy who... I think he'd done, like, cage fighting or whatever. And he was quite intense. But I am also um, very competitive and not great at moderating my power in... <laughs> um, but. So you have to do Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu now because it is the most humbling thing ever. Um, like, because I'm I'm quite strong, mm. right? And I hold a lot of people just in in positions, and a lot of them like I'm only a blue belt. Like I've only been doing it for two and a half years. Um, but as a white belt, I just held people in positions because that's all I knew, right? And after doing that, I kind of started like spanning out and learning kind of things. And every time you put your arm out, like, you know, you get, you get a bit broken. Well, not broken. Like you get, you get submitted. There's a submission. And you're just like, ah, oh, okay. Next time I won't do that. You do, you do something else. You get submitted. Okay. Next time I won't do that. So what else have you got? Oh, you do this. Ooh, okay. You've advanced the position. Now you're not getting attacked, you know, and it's that kind of progressive overload where you keep on going. So mm-hmm. I think, I really think you'll enjoy it. Yeah. Um, especially with your competitiveness with yourself. Mm. um whilst it's a you know whilst you've got someone else with you it's so much about just your own inner game Mm. and the demons that come out so for a mental health kick here the demons that come out and start chatting absolute rubbish into your ear right is it's fun to observe it sucks at the at the time it happens right you know where you're panicking if someone's completely on top of you and a purple belt did this to me like when I was a high white belt, high up on, on top of me. So basically sitting on my chest without the sounding weird. If you don't do Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, this is all going to sound weird. <laughs> I sat on my chest, right? My hands were up like a, like a, a slow, uh, I don't know, like I was being arrested or something. My hands were up in the air, right? Lying down, person sat on my chest. And he opens his kimono. So he pulls his kimono out of his belt and basically like a curtain drapes his kimono around my head right mm. so i'm mildly claustrophobic mm. right my mild claustrophobia goes from this is okay to get me the fuck out of here like literally in the, the second they closed and i realized what was happening i started freaking out and he was just like don't freak out and i'm like i'm going to tap he's like don't tap I'm like i'm going to tap he's like talk to your head don't tap this is okay there's nothing wrong with it you can still breathe can't you i'm like yes it's like so why are you going to tap? I'm not doing anything to you. This is a psychological play. Don't tap. And I was there like freaking out. He's like, breathe in through your nose, exhale. I'm just like, mate, you stink. He's like, it doesn't matter. Just breathe. <laughs> and, you know, going through that, eventually I'm just like, oh, wow. Okay. And then like, you know, he did it again. But by then I, I, I'd recognized to, to, 
to stop it. Mm. So, um, yeah, just, just on a mental kind of level of learning more about yourself. Mm. Um, it's good. It's real good. I think so I'll stop selling Brazilian yeah. jiu-jitsu now. <laughs> you should get a commission for this. Um, <laughs> but, but I think that there's something about physical challenges generally, whether that's a martial art, whether it's, you know, um, an epic run or, or something like that, where we're challenging ourselves, it is so much a mental game and there can be so much mental growth yes. uh, through that process. Absolutely. So, yeah. Absolutely. I think that's why, for better or worse, in the fitness space, you know, we kind of um, glorify the military mindset like almost to a point it's kind of gross you know where it's just like no sweat no glory and all this kind of like just hard 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 kind of things which i understand the 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 kind of love obsession the fitness industry has with that but i think like what we're talking about is finding out more about yourself through uh physical exertion you know it doesn't have to be this whole holier than thou greater than thou like military experience of surviving you know 12 week basic right mm. which is the 12 week basic training that everyone goes through it doesn't need to be associated with that it can literally just be your own little victories that you get and just learn a bit more about yourself i think that's a really important thing people need to try and hold on to a bit more yeah absolutely so we've kind of uh we've not said this word yet but we've kind of talked about it a fair bit i think with some of the little hacks and the the reframing activities but I, I always challenge people when they come on to try and describe their own mindset <laughs> okay uh i have never been asked this question this is like not even my psychotherapists have asked me this and i've been to a few of them so to describe my own mindset um wow i'm getting a few words in here but they're, they're not quite sitting in because i have obviously militant is going to be in there somewhere so i have this this militant mm. kind of loving childish militant loving childish uh, for some reason those three words are coming in because you know that's what i do so I, you know you've heard me saying like all i want is a hug and i hug people because that's what i love doing i like hugs but also don't like hugs so you know like a child right i want the candy but i also want to go to sleep um so, you know, there's that kind of thing. So I think probably um, lo a loving, childishly militant mindset is what I have. That, yeah, that, that works. I have no other words in my head now. That, that's it. That's what you're getting. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting one because I think sometimes, yeah, we don't, we don't really think about it. And then it's like, well, how would I, how would I describe it? Yeah. So yeah. yeah. Interesting one. Uh, so, uh, yeah, my, my, last, uh, my last big question is um, I ask everyone that comes on to leave the listeners with between one and three tips of things they can try that are going to have a massive impact. So you can do general mental wellness ones, you can do them tailored to someone who is experiencing suicide bereavement or a mix, totally up to you, um, but between one and three tips that you'd leave people. Okay, so um, I think for those who are extrovertly introverted like myself so people who can go out into the world and you know command attention and be the center of everything but equally need to go home and recharge um if that's just kind of mm -hmm. you know ding the light bulb in your head then please 
pay more attention to yourself and it's okay to go home and recharge. But um, so, so, our, so extroverted introverts, I think it's important to um, give yourself true downtime. And when I say true downtime, it's important to, you know, switch off your phone, don't have the TV on. If you can, don't have the lights on. If you feel responsible enough, maybe get some candles up or whatever, you know, and just give yourself anywhere from 30 minutes to an hour of a zero stimulus space, at least once a week, right? Because um, a lot of us kind of say, oh, we're going to go home and going to recharge, but like you're recharging by watching stuff on the TV, um, being on your phone, doing a whole bunch of stuff, like, you know, I don't know, in, you're, you're still interacting, you're still connected. Um, and over time, you'll feel exhausted or you'll feel more irritable. And it's because you're not switching off properly. So first tip is, is at least once a week, if you can do this every day, this would be amazing, but at least once a week or twice a week, just fully detach yourself, like unplug yourself, you know, and just sit, read a book, not a Kindle, not a Kindle, read an old school cut down tree book, right? Or maybe recycled paper. Hopefully it's recycled paper. Read one of them old fashioned things. Okay. And if you fall asleep reading a book, good. You needed it. Um, so that's, that's tip one. For, for suicide bereaved people, whether it's a parent who's lost a child to suicide or whether it's a child who's lost a parent to suicide, um, it's probably repeating stuff that I've said before, but have one person, at least one person, you know you can dutifully reach out to at any time of the day or night um, and you believe it as well, because a lot of people will reach out and say, Hey, you can contact me whenever you want, but the actions of that person in the span of you knowing them will deem them un, um, unreliable by no actions and no faults of their own. They will just literally have done stuff in the time you've known them or at the back of your mind. It's like, I wouldn't contact you. All right. So it's really important to identify and find someone. It can be a new friend. It doesn't have to be someone who's been a childhood friend. In fact, from my personal experience, childhood friends are the worst, right? Because you've been through a whole bunch of stuff and you're going to judge them by stuff that they did when they were 12 years old, right? And it's, it's unfair to bring that in and it, it'll affect you. So just find one person who you know, who like, you know, maybe you want to get to know and give them, you know, this, this honor. Uh, I don't want to say responsibility because it's not responsibility. They'll jump in for it. They'll, you know, they'll, they say it and you believe it, then that's it. You don't have to do anything about that. Um, and if you are an introverted, secluded kind of person who is dealing with this, this is my third one. Um, learn to take your armor off and just reach out and touch somebody, right? Just, it's, it's scary. It's terrifying. It's the last thing you want to do. You'd probably much rather just, like gouge your eyeballs out with a rusty teaspoon, but as someone who has been very much like that um, up until a year ago when I started just reaching out and just kind of just being exposed, it's really uncomfortable being exposed, but if you just reach out and just find mm. someone a, you can, you know, you, you can rely on heavily, but just get used to talking about stuff that you need to talk about. Cause if it stays in your head, it festers and turns into something very, very nasty to the point that maybe you too, will disappear you know you'll you'll take yourself 
and you're far too important to do that. So reach out and just be cool not having your armor on all the time. It gets heavy. Let it off. Let it let it let it air. It needs to go get cleaned anyway. So have moments where you can, you know, in a in a safe space that makes you feel comfortable. Just have conversations where you're a little bit more vulnerable than usual and just grow into it. So those are my three. Awesome. Thank you for those three amazing tips. Uh, and so then my my last question is: uh, How can people connect with you online if they're interested in following you on social media? If you want people to follow you on social media um where can people find oh, yeah. you yeah 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 so um i have a website that's never finished so we'll leave that one to last <laughs> um but uh i'm on instagram a lot uh so you know usual instagram and my handle is l shig so that's e for echo l for lima s for sierra h for hotel i for india g for golf all right l shig um i'm on twitter exactly the same l shig uh, I'm on Facebook as well. So if you do facebook.com forward slash Shigimus, so that's S-H-I-G-G-I-M-U-S, um, you'll find me there. Or just put Shiggy into to Facebook. Mm-hmm. So S-H-I-G-G-I. Um, I'm on there like 99.2% of my posts are public. Sometimes I do private posts, but yeah find me um i i pretty much talk about you know this kind of stuff as and when the year death anniversary happens um i talk about well i'm starting to talk about more so uh the black queer space because uh being female and bi or gay and black um is a very very treacherous space to be in um and i feel it, it like it needs more conversation um so i'm, I'm expanding on that but um yeah, Instagram, in all honesty, is the best place to find me because I'm on there a lot, always doing Instagram stories. So if you want to check in on what stupid things I'm doing, that's probably the best place. Um, and finally, shiggy.co.uk is a website that I have a love-hate relationship with um, that I build up and I design and I make it look all pretty and then I delete it. So that's my ADHD brain, just having a tantrum. So I never really mention it. You can go and check it out. It might be in some kind of state. You can email me um, at hishiggy at shiggy.co.uk. That's a lot of shiggies. Um, <laughs> so, you know, it's all about me. Um, so you, you can send me an email. But to be honest, just just find me on Twitter or Instagram, mm-hmm. like just lshig, E-L-S-H-I-G. Um, and we can have a chat about whatever, anything that's touched you in this podcast. Um, I have my own podcast as well but you're going to have to find that because I'm not going to like start mentioning like all the places it is. It's called getting shiggy with, right? So I like the song getting jiggy with it, but you know, it's getting shiggy with because that was my childhood in school. Everyone bullied me with that. So uh, I have a podcast and the first episode uh, suicide happened on a Monday is a hour long deep dive into a very, very visceral uh, rendition of everything that happened because I think that episode happened in September last year so I was still going through it and I used that podcast as therapy so if you want to hear what therapy sounds like <laughs> go there yeah awesome and we're, we're absolutely linking the show notes so people can find you from there good so, wonderful thank you so much Shiggy I've really enjoyed chatting to you and and hearing about your experience and also really <laughs> Uh, lots of what you said about being an introvert and stuff really resonates with me and I'm definitely checking out Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu so thank you for that do it 
yeah do it do it do it <laughs> yeah so thank you so much for joining us very very welcome thank you for having me on and listening to a story i've only recently decided to start putting out there so thank you thank you So thank you so much to Shiggy and update. I did after this episode, Google Grizz- bleh, can't talk Google Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. And guess what? There is a Brazilian Jiu Jitsu gym in my town. It's not a particularly big town, but there is a dedicated Brazilian Jiu Jitsu gym. So it is meant to be probably. <laughs> so um, because of lockdown, they hadn't been open and then they had a waiting list, but I submitted a form and actually two weeks ago I went in for a trial I had a trial week I have now officially joined I've got my my gi which is the the pajamas <laughs> pajama suit that Shiggy mentioned uh so I yeah only had a few sessions and it's obviously a bit different at the moment because we can't do contact we're just doing drills and stuff but uh yes I am loving it <laughs> already and as I mentioned on Monday about possibly teaching yoga that may be at this gym so that's kind of what I mentioned on Monday about these little things that kind of fall into place and, and, you know, having this conversation with Shiggy and then I sort of checked out and now I've joined, now it's uh, one of my new hobbies and obsessions as well. And it will be a long time before I'm at Shiggy's level, but, uh, and possibly a long time before we are doing the contact stuff. But uh, already it's a, it's an interesting one for, you know, moving in different ways and being more connected to your body and trying to think through these movements that aren't so natural. We were doing something with these weighted bags the other day where you're kind of, you're putting your shoulder on, you're kind of rolling over, kicking your legs over your head um, as if you're doing like a roll, but then you're landing in like a bridge position, which I don't know if you can visualize that, but I was trying to do it and trying to visualize what am I doing with my body? Where is it going? And I think sometimes that's something we don't really think about. And I, like the gym I like lifting heavy stuff as well and that again there are specific movements but they often feel a bit more normal (laughs) we do them more every day and actually with the Brazilian jiu-jitsu it's moving in new ways and um, yeah already I love it and I've only done like four sessions Um, so I'm sort of hoping to train three times a week and what I'm very excited about is they also train Mai Tai uh, at this at this gym uh, and mixed martial arts and that's something I mentioned something I loved before because uh, I do like the the kind of kicking and um, the striking side as well so I'm excited to do that when that starts up again and uh, kind of get back into MMA and it's something I've never fully committed to a sort of martial art before I've kind of dabbled in a lot but I kind of like the idea of as we were saying that that personal challenge of working my way up through the belts to a black belt in something so hey maybe it will be Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. So when the podcast is, I don't know, three, no, probably not three years old, four years old, five years old, I don't know, who knows uh, where I will be. Um, but yes, yeah, so thank you for, to Shiggy for two things. One, three, three things actually for joining me for this episode, for joining us on the panel and for the suggestion um, or just sharing her love of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, which definitely got me interested in it. And if you are also inspired by it, we're not on commission. (laughs) But uh, yeah, do check it out. And it's something I think that it's going to be a a lot of fun uh, part of my life going forward. So yeah, I really appreciate that as well. So as a, a kind of final, final thing, 
if you uh, have have experienced bereavement by suicide, if if this is something that has, has really touched you and you're looking for support, the MIND website, I know I, I talk about MIND a lot, uh, they do have a section on bereavement by suicide. So uh, talking about the experience of losing someone to suicide and suggestions of some of the support that uh, is available. So there are some specific support. So there is in the UK, survivors of bereavement by suicide, cruise bereavement care who have uh, support for for bereavement generally, but may have suggestions uh, for further support for people who have lost someone to suicide. And if you are yourself feeling suicidal or just feeling distressed or wanting to talk about talk about things uh the samaritans you can call on 116123 it is not just a suicide helpline that's a sort of crisis line or if you just want someone to talk to uh, so i'd recommend them and for the u.s listeners there is the national suicide prevention lifeline network their number is 1-800-273-8255 uh, if you're anywhere else in the world i'm sorry i don't have a specific number for you but if you search for a, a sort of helpline, there will be something available. And hopefully uh, there are more specific supports uh, around that you, that you can access uh, if you have been bereaved by suicide. But I think one of the things that in the panel discussion we mentioned and, and that Shiggy talked about and in this episode is the support around you. So friends family possibly whether it's a new friend whether it's an old friend having someone that you can turn to who you have that that trust that whatever time of day if you need their support they will be there and and again I know I reiterated this um early in the episode when Shiggy said it but but sometimes just being with someone in silence sitting there is is what they need is is the kind of best way to support them and particularly if they have voiced what they need it might be uncomfortable for us to sit in silence but if that's what they need you know it's trying to give people the support that they they are asking for and uh yeah kind of dealing with a bit of discomfort for ourselves um and I think it's something that sometimes goes against the kind of human nature and desire to try and fix things but sometimes that is all we need just to have someone be there in silence with us uh, I love that idea of just reading your books <laughs> together. So, um, and I think that, you know, for, for all of us, whether we have uh, been touched by suicide or not, uh, just we all need support at some time, at some points. So, you know, I think there are some really, really valuable takeaways for all of us to think about for, you know, when we are experiencing powerful emotions and kind of developing that self-awareness of kind of what works for us and that support and all of that. And I could go on for ages about uh, everything that Shiggy kind of shared with us. Um, but I won't because <laughs> that would, I mean, it would take all day. Um, but yeah, so thank you to Shiggy and absolutely check out her podcast to hear more from her. Um, and yeah, we will be back next week. So Monday we are joined by Adam Mendler. So I look forward to uh, sharing that conversation with you and I hope you have a good week. Take care of yourself. I will be, uh, well, tomorrow morning on the mat and also in the river <laughs> doing all those kind of physical things that are, that are great for me. 
Um, so I hope, yeah, that you have a good week too. And I will speak to you Monday. Bye.